Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today we are joined by Michael, our resident Ephesiologist, and I am Andrew Johnson, Associate Pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. Uh, Michael, it is the two of us today, and we are finally starting to tackle the long-promised, long-sought-after question-and-answer sessions um, that we have sought from our listeners. So um, we attempted, we tried, we begged for people to submit some questions. Uh, We have received a number of those, and so today... um, we, we launch into that. We attempt to answer. So, Michael, uh, on a one to 10 scale, um, how how scared are you of these questions or, or how excited are you to deal with them? Yeah, well, on the scale of one to 10 in terms of how fearful I am about the questions, I mean, they were, they're formidable questions for sure. Um, some of them we might have anticipated, uh, a, a couple of them not. So um, yeah, I think this will be this this could prove to be an interesting couple podcasts that we do, and that and that is absolutely right. Michael is saying a couple podcasts because we're we'll try to tackle one or two uh, thematically. So if you were a question asker and you don't hear us deal with your question, uh, have no fear. We'll be talking about it shortly, we hope. And if we go through all of our questions and you think, I swore I asked a question, why didn't they answer? Uh, It's okay. Reach out to us. Uh, You can send an email to me, andrewjohnson at neartownchurch.org. I will do all I can to surface it to the top and make sure that we talk about it. Uh, But uh, today we are going to a listener who is in Spain. Am I correct in that? A listener yeah. from Spain? Listener from Spain. Okay. Um, his his question is around, first of all, he, he had a statement, so I'm going to turn it into a question. Um, should our pastors be missiologists? Uh, and then he goes on. So, Michael, we're going we're gonna to bracket that. We'll come back to it. Uh, he asks a question in regards to tribal theology and the educational systems around tribal theology and how missiology fits in them. I just tried to like sandwich a whole bunch of that. Michael, did I do a decent job at least grabbing all of the disparate parts. Oh yeah. Smashing sure. it together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, we don't want to skirt around the, the, the main, it seems like the main uh, reason for his question uh, surrounding reformed traditions. And, uh, but I think as we're looking at this question, it, it applies not just simply to reformed theology or the way in which reformed uh uh, adherents will do missions, but it really is around that tribal uh, issue. How do our tribes do missions? And uh, and I think about this in terms of how do we do missions when we come from a particular theological background? 
And so uh, what's the role of, of dogmatic theology, if you will, uh, those theologies that will, you know, very clearly express themselves like to reform theology, Wesleyan theology, and, and so forth. Um, how do we go about doing missions when we have that kind of, you know, theological bent uh, to us? Okay, so let's let's deal with the first bracketed question. Uh, they they do tie in together, and I think appropriately so. Um, should pastors view their role as missiologists? Um, Michael, our resident ephesiologist, missiologist, what do you think uh, about just that thought? Should pastors view themselves as missiologists? Yeah, you know, um, that's such a great question, and that's not an easy one uh, to answer, I don't think, because in one sense, we, I think all of us should view ourselves, especially if we're in uh, full-time ministry, uh, where our occupation is to think about ways in which we're engaging people, that we should be thinking of ourselves in a missiological manner, whether that's specifically as a missiologist, um, I don't know. I, I would tend to say no, because a missiologist will be trained specifically in the area of missiology and and uh, have a broader understanding of the sociological and anthropological issues that we should be addressing as we are thinking about the uh, theological engagement of people in different cultures. Um, that that might not be necessarily for everyone. Um, but at the same time, I do think we need to think as missionaries when we're engaging people. And uh, and that might be the way in which I would ask the question, should a, a pastor uh, be thinking as a missionary? Um, and, and I would answer that question, yes. I think we all need to be thinking as a missionary. That doesn't mean that we're all missionaries, but we should be thinking as a missionary. And that, again, is going to the idea that we need to... Uh, be conversant with ways in which we can effectively communicate the stories about Christ in a particular culture and, uh, and how those stories are going to impact that culture. Um, and that's, in, in essence, you know, I think, broadly speaking, what, what the task would be for us. And I, and I like this, too, because um, it goes back to what Paul tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.11, that Christ gave some as apostles, and, and we would think about the apostle as the role of a missionary, some as prophets uh, or forth-tellers, preachers, if you will, some as evangelists, some as shepherds or pastors, and some as teachers. And together, that group prepares the church for uh, works of ministry, prepares the saints for works of ministry. And in that sense, then, uh, all of us that are a part of the, the group of the saints, that the church should be prepared to uh, act as missionaries, preachers, evangelists, pastors, and, and teachers— that we should all have at some level 
skills in those areas if we are truly being equipped by those who are in the church with that, who are given that responsibility, if that makes sense. It entirely makes sense. And uh, I feel like I'm on an episode of Point Counterpoint or wh whatever some of the argument type shows are. Um, so I, I think I'm a bit more passionate towards the end of and off mic. Michael and I have had this conversation and disagreed with each other. Um, I do think we're all called to be missionaries. And I do think every Christian is i think that's an identity type piece because we have been sent and and so because of that um oh dang it michael i'm i'm sad because i can't remember who said the original quote uh but the idea is um every heart with christ a missionary every heart without christ a mission field but i i believe that we as christians have all been sent out and uh, we bear that good news. And so where I see that question on, should all pastors be missiologists? Um, if any of you have been listening to the podcast for a while or are even engaging with Michael's book, Ephesiology, I mean, there is such a focus on getting in and focusing on the context that God has put you in. And that we all need to be asking those contextual questions. What is happening around me? Where, where is God already moving? Where do I see bits of the gospel story or, or connection points in which I can bring the good news of Jesus and, and help them see God is already at work. The person that you are looking for is here and he is Jesus. Um, all Christians are called to that. And so based on at least what I'm saying about that missionary type focus, that that drive that we all have within us, uh, pastors who are playing their role in God's kingdom in leading and shepherding people towards that active work of bringing people into the good news uh, of our faith, then we should be always asking those contextual questions. We should always be looking on what's going on around us in our communities and how we can encourage people. Hey, I see this over there. Go after that. Uh, I see this in the text. Don't you see this? Now, how can you see this in your life? So I think I'm a, li a little bit more on the, the pro-missiologist side uh, as for pastors, but I don't, I mean, I certainly don't mean it in a professional sense, um, like occupational rather. Uh, but that that missionary view of always looking and seeking how to engage that culture and understand what's happening. So towards that end, um, I am leaning pro. Um, you've been very kind to me and quiet. And what are your thoughts to some of the craziness <laughs> that I'm spouting forth? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not uh, unwarranted craziness, I, I would say. I, I think it's... I, Many people have said this, but I think more recently J.D. Payne has made the comments that if we're if we're all missionaries, then none of us are missionaries, or something to that effect. And and I would tend to agree with that. Um, that doesn't mean that we're not to be like missionaries, but um, if if all of us are missionaries, then uh, th then there's going to be a gap in 
the church. And that's why I think if if Apest is our model, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, that we read about in Ephesians 4, and if we understand a, apostle, of course, being one who is sent, and that role primarily is crossing borders, crossing cultures into places, then that really is the function of the missionary. Now, where I would agree is that as the apostle or the missionary in a church, he or she is to be equipping the church to be like missionaries, not to become other apostles or other missionaries, although that could certainly happen. But their call by Christ is to equip the entire body of Christ to function as missionaries, not to be missionaries, if if I can make that distinction. Right. Well, because it because it has to be a part of the uh, I am a part of that bigger story of what's going on, um, thinking along the lines of not just this is who I am. So this is what I do, um, but this is who I am. And now let me help you see how I see the world so that you can think like I think when you show up in these places, mm. um, so that you can engage others evangelistically, so that you can engage others in that. I, I'm trying to stay away from the word missional because I don't want to make all of my comments just fall under missional and all under, all of your comments fall under uh, missiological like we're opposed because I think there's a lot of bleed over between the two. Um, in how we're talking, but um, I appreciate the um, the apest focus again mm. in in getting this way. Yeah, and I think where we would agree is that the, the ultimately the call is for all of us to be disciple makers, um, no matter who we are, as we're gifted uh, in the body of Christ. Um, we are clearly called to be disciple makers. And uh, and so I think that's important for us to highlight. So I don't, I don't, I mean, I like the question uh, here because it it highlights the potential for dysfunction if in the church if we will tend to you know focus on specific areas of gifting and uh and not at the or, or focus on specific areas of gifting at the expense of other areas um so i i would be comfortable in saying in light of ephesians 4 11 that uh apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers are all to be disciple makers just like everybody else some of them are going to uh help the church by uh, equipping them with skills and abilities to be missionaries. Others will help them to equip the church with skills and abilities to be preachers or, or those who can really effectively bring the word of God to address a cultural issue, as is the role of the prophet, uh, and similarly as an evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And so all of those, functionally speaking, in the church are uh, helping all of us have the skills and abilities to do work like a missionary, like a prophet, like an evangelist, like a shepherd, and like a teacher. Um, where there's an imbalance, in, and I think we see this, um, even globally speaking, where the church in the West has focused much more attention on the shepherd role and the teacher role than on the the apostle, the prophet role. 
to a to a lesser degree the evangelist role right the um, abandoned apes yeah and and what has happened is that the church and by very nature of those who are leading the church they're preparing from their gifting as shepherds and teachers more people who will be inclined to be shepherds and teachers and uh, those who have a sense of of gifting as apostles, prophets, and evangelists are kind of left on the margins, and uh, and and we see the opposite happening happening in the majority world church, and especially among church planting movements and disciple making movements, where the emphasis has been more on the apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic gifting. That's you know propelling the church forward, seeing more churches start, seeing uh, evangelism done uh, in uh, in more effective and perhaps even larger scale ways. But in the wake of those movements, you leave a church that hasn't been equipped uh, with shepherds and teachers, which is and why so, there's a, a lot thrown at church planting movements and disciple making movements uh, about. Uh, not standing strong on theology or having a corruption mm-hmm. come in because those are the, I don't want to say the weaker gifts, just the not as seen or not as uh, equipped yeah, gifts in those sure. contexts. Yeah, for sure. And the, and the opposite is true in the context of the Western church, where those who are looking from the lens of a church planting movement or disciple making movement, look at the Western church and say, well, it's weak because it's not starting more churches, it's not doing more evangelism, and and so on. Um, and so what, what really ideally needs to happen, and I think this is Jesus's intention, um, as Paul is outlining his gifting to the church, is that, that the, the, those five areas of gifting for the equipping of the saints for works of ministry have to be working in concert with each other. Um, they can't be working in isolation from one another, and they should not be working in competition with each other. Uh, rather, they should be working in concert with each other. And I think it's there then when you have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers working together in concert, that's where you have uh, an expression, a Christ-like expression of the church. Well, I think in a funny way, uh, the way the question was asked was a bit of a Trojan horse to get us into the topic of APEST, but only because as asked, you know, essentially our pastors, missiologists, we jump on it. We're really excited to talk about it, but are all pastors apostles? No. We just sort of answered quickly. Are all po- are all pastors prophets? No. You know, that that gifting wise, they're intentionally um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Um, we would have understood or at least been able to say, OK, this is we're talking about one gift set. Not everybody should be everything. Um, we're all going to have our roles uh, because, you know, looking at that first Corinthians 12 passage are all knees, elbows. No, no, they are not. And they should not be. Um, but it certainly is a room for all of us to grow, understanding where we are deficient and understanding how we absolutely have to lean on one another uh, to be or to express the fullness of Christ as his body. 
um, as his bride in the world. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me forcefully get into that second set of questions in regards to, again, contextually for this writer asking about that reformed evangelical tribal uh, affiliation, um, how we go about both educating and engaging the world when sometimes we come from that very, uh, I don't want to use the word rigid because I don't think that's fair, um, firm theological background um, to move towards that. So, Michael, uh, do you have any thoughts in regards to to this? I'm laughing. Michael one, always has thoughts. One, I have one I, thought. No, I don't know. Uh, I mean, this is such a great topic because it touches on a number of issues that we're confronting in missions uh, around the world. And uh, and one of those is what is frequently referred to these days as neocolonialism. Uh, and neocolonialism can be expressed in many different ways. But um, it, one way in which it's being expressed today is at Western missionaries going to another uh, culture, bringing along with them their particular theological backgrounds. And in one way or another, imposing those theological systems on the cultures they're engaging. And they do this, I think, out of a real sincere belief that their particular theological system is the biblical system. Um, and and we're, we see this, you know, it, 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 we see this among many traditions, not only Reformed traditions or Baptist traditions, or other uh, sorts of traditions, whether or not they have a theological, uh, uh, specific theological uh, parentage or not. Uh, and, and I think there is some real potential danger in forcing or imposing a particular theological system on a culture that doesn't have the heritage, if you will, from where that theological system uh, uh, originally or uh, emerged. Yeah, originated. And I think part of the reason is every theological system is contextual, right? Like, they... yeah, and that doesn't sit well with with people of particular theological systems. And I and I get that because all of us at some level want to believe that what it is that we believe, theologically speaking, however it's framed, if it's in Reformed theology or in Baptist theology or whatever theology it is, Arminian, Wesleyan, whatever. Dispensational. Yeah. We want to believe that what we believe is, is in accordance with the historic tradition of the church. Um. Uh, and so we will, when we do hold those kinds of dogmatic positions, if you will, it will set us at odds with those who come from different theological traditions. And, uh, and, and to be honest, it causes confusion um, on the mission field when we bring those different systems to another culture that doesn't have the, the historic background um 
by which to really evaluate those systems. And, and let me give you an example. Um, I can remember as a young missionary in Romania, um, going into a context that was Baptistic in heritage, uh, but not Southern Baptistic. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, that one of the, the uh, distinguishing marks of difference between the two was the, the doctrine of salvation, where Southern, the Southern Baptist tradition uh, would hold to the security, the eternal security of the believer. But in the Baptist traditions in Europe, there was a belief that people could lose their salvation. And I can remember having very heated arguments with uh, the believers there who believed differently than I did. Uh, I was eternal security, once saved, always saved, get people to pray, and and then the deal was sealed. And uh, and they were saying, no, that I mean, that's, that's not what we believe. Uh, we believe that people can backslide and uh, and lose their salvation. And so those kinds of conversations were wholly unproductive um, in the context of missions and the way in which we were trying to to do things, uh, ministry there. Um, so yeah, we have to, I think we have to have, when we're talking about missions, we have to have a broader, theological understanding that um, allows for those sorts of differences to um, be expressed uh, without being contentious, because ultimately what it does, as I mentioned, is it causes confusion and will cause division in, in among believers. Do and you in think, well, okay, so I'm, I'm jumping in only to ask this question. As as it was framed, asking why some of the biblical education, theological education, seminaries, whatnot, why they might shy away from teaching or talking about missiology in a prime importance, uh, is it? I, mean, I I don't mean to make this sound as ulterior as it sounds, but perhaps are some of those educational systems. Do they not teach on missiology because it might upend some of the tradition in which they are coming from, right? Like you're teaching students to question the things that you're telling them not to question. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I I mean, that would be hard to say that that's the motivation behind why some seminaries aren't teaching missiology. I think for the most part, seminaries will incorporate some sort of missions into their programs, although it will tend to be a little ancillary rather than integral to their programs. There are other seminaries that are very noted for being much more missiologically minded in their programs. Um, and I think, you know, as I've reflected on this issue and as we've talked about even on the podcast before, I, I think what where there is a danger is when we begin to silo these different aspects of theology and they become insular 
um, and uh, and really ultimately ineffective in the way in which they can engage with contemporary cultural issues. And so I, I mean, I'm of course, always an advocate for missiology to be a central part of theological education, um, not an ancillary part of that, especially because we're, I mean, we're living in contexts today where cultures are crossing all the time. And, uh, and there are increasingly more cultural issues that we're wrestling with. And without having a proper missiology uh, and having people properly equipped to ask more missiological questions, then I think there's a real danger when we come to bring a particular theological dogma on a system without having really listened to the culture to understand, you know, what what the issue is, and then really reflect on how we can most effectively engage in that issue. I think we've been, particularly in the West, much more reactionary to cultural issues. And so, yeah, well, yeah, Uh, rather than being real good listeners to those cultural issues. We were much more inclined to think in terms of uh, culture wars that are going on in society rather than thinking about how God is at work in society and how we might join with them in that work. So I wonder how much of that too is even just our, our rational enlightenment based reasoning that we, we feel that we have to have a, a, a certain and a secure answer um, to absolutely everything. Like, like what I mean to say is like perfectly lined out. There are no, <laughs> there are no edges. There are no, questions it's all black and white and so when we get to these cultural touch points um then we feel oh we've got the answer now we we have dealt with this um here is your answer moving on and then continuing to make decisions based off of that one answer and never ever circling back and saying uh first of all was the answer that we're basing everything off of accurate and secondly has the world changed Right, the the thing that we thought we dealt with and are moving on from, um, the world's changed. the The cultures that we're interacting with are different, and so we need to slow down and not come at some of these things so uh, rigidly, so so confidently as to say we don't need to listen anymore because we've already answered that. Mm-hmm. But to just to slow down and say, okay, actually, we we need to get back to the listening game. We, we need to get back to the understanding thing. And I think the pace at which things are changing should require us personally, but certainly our educational systems, uh, to do more listening, to, to encourage and train more slowing down mm-hmm. and asking better questions, which is a funny thing because you literally go to an educational system college university seminary to have questions answered right like like i'm coming to you for answers why why are we spending all this time talking about questions uh but the reality is we've got to listen yes we we do need to have answers and we and we as uh 
believers, we we want to take them into God's word. We want to say, actually, there are answers. There are some things that we can know, uh, but at the same time, uh, be very clear what is a, a theologically tribal-based answer. What is uh, something that is more contextual to my time or my region, as opposed to true for all time, all people, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, um, I mean, I was joking earlier when I said, you know, dispensational theology uh, would kind of fall into this category. Um, but for somebody like myself, born in America, raised in America, the social, the social milieu that I found myself in, uh, we were all, we were all singing hymns about being caught up in the sky when Jesus comes back and um, I'll fly away and, and all of those things. And for me, that was normal, right? Like w- what I mean to say is I thought that's what everybody has always believed, right? You, you, you grow up and you sing songs about that. So why would anybody say anything different? And then to find out that that was actually a very recent, very American theology. Uh, and then I'm, I'm shocked at that point because I was like, wait a second, this isn't a, all believers all time everywhere. In fact, it's very new and it's very American. Um, that's shocking. But sometimes it's helpful to ask questions, to mm. understand context, to learn culture. And then again, to based on those questions through that missiological lens, seek Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of America or the G- Jesus of colonialism. Yeah, good. I I like that. I, as you were talking, it struck me that missiology is a theology that listens. Um, and that might be a very easy, simple definition of missiology because we want to listen it, and it's important for us to listen um, so that as we are listening, that we can re- reflect on how we respond to the issues that we're learning about. And that's what missiology does. Hmm. Well, Michael, uh, I don't know if this horse is dead or beaten enough, but I think we've done what we can to um, answer the question from our listener in Spain. Uh, Thank you very much for engaging us with that question and allowing us this opportunity to to back and forth on this very, very, very important topic of missiology and its role in all of our lives. Uh, Michael, any, any parting thoughts? for uh, this round of question and answer session? Well, this has been fun. I'm thankful for the the question and would love to hear from others as well. So feel free to write Andrew and and uh, it, we'd love to engage more with your ideas. Well, thank you very much uh, to the listeners who have asked us questions. And I'll just say a thank you in advance to the other listeners who are now going to submit a question based on the fact that we're dropping this episode, uh, we are very thankful for you as listeners. Uh, Please know um, whether we say it frequently enough or not, we are blown away by the fact that you have given your time to engage with us, to listen and, and dialogue with us and do theology and community. We are very thankful for you. And we certainly want to invite the rest of you um, who occasionally listen and haven't jumped into dialogue, please do so. You can find us on Facebook and go to ephesiology.com, figure out, you know, 
what blog or forum that you want to jump in. Or as Michael and I have been talking a lot about recently, you can go to uh, masterclasses.ephesiology.com and see, is there something that I can step into and grow um, in my knowledge, education, and join with others as they also are doing theology and community. So for Michael, for myself, thank you for joining us on the Ephesiology Podcast today.